Hey everybody, welcome back to another all new X is for show. You can check us out at X is for show on all of your media. As for me, I'm Nico. You can check me out at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. I'm TK. You can find me at TK Elemental. And that leaves me Kevo, and you can find me over on the socials at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And we are here for the sort of broadcast that started this whole thing. We are here to talk about comics. It's a new comic book day. It's Wednesday. And uh, there's always comic news. Comics have become, you know, an unstoppable news industry of their own. And uh, it's a Wednesday. So we got we to gotta talk about it. Time to represent some comics. And there's always more comics news. Absolutely. And of course, there's not just comics news. There's comics, movies, comics, TV, and more. And without further ado, I want to kick things off by talking about uh, one of the, the bigger things on the comic movie news blip radar right now, uh, and that's The Flash. One of the things that has really had me surprised in this you know, whole up and down trajectory of The Flash with Ezra Miller, with Grant Morrison, with uh, David Zasilov, however you want to look at it, is that you know, when we talk about The Flash, we're talking about a movie that after its third week in release crossed the 260 million threshold worldwide. And I think we have a, a graphic for that, right? And uh, what's really crazy to me about that is when Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness opened to $450 million international opening weekend, people were like, mm, flop. And then here's a movie that three weeks into its run has barely earned half of that. And I'm really fascinated to know what you guys think. Do you because I mean, they're both multiverse movies. They're both about somebody trying to get their, you know, lost family member back where a major figure has to try and keep it all in check and stop it from getting worse. And reality gets rewritten and other versions of people from other timelines show up like there's a lot of really good parallels here. But, you know, what? Where's the loss of love from this point to Flashpoint? You know, it's one of those things where it's like if you have a kid who is consistently an A-plus student and they then get a B, a B is not a bad grade, but it's not great for that A-plus student. And you're kind of left in that place of asking, like, how do we talk about this? with both being realistic about the drop in grade, but also being realistic about the fact that like, that's not bad at all. Uh, so, you know, that's Dr. Strange, uh, Marvel movies are always bangers and always hits and always do huge numbers. And so when, any slip is considered a slip, which, yeah, yeah. which there's a longer conversation to be had about the fact that the center can't hold on that. And we're already kind of there. Uh, the streaming service makes that even more true. Like we can't just be thinking every Marvel movie needs to beat the one before it. That was the biggest or it's a failure. Uh, meanwhile, the flash is like your burnout stoner student that you're kind of just surprised. They even came to class and uh, what are you going to do? You know, Kevo, I feel like Doctor Strange was one of the harder sells for you from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just like initially from the outset, Benedict Cumberbatch did not have the most pleasant 
uh, introduction and Flash is the kind of character that I feel like you would be drawn to. He's often lighthearted. He's um, romanticizable. Like he frequently embodies a lot of the things we love about uh, a young hero just trying to make it. And with all of the things about like reverse flash and all of these dark iterations of this character, it's just, it sucks that this wasn't good for you to enjoy it. Yeah. I think a huge amount of the difference between these two movies as well really comes down to wasted potential and wasted promise and I feel like so much of the DC movies come down to that, especially with all of the turnover that's been going on and so many things still being up in the air about what is even going on with these properties. And this movie had such development hell for so long. And so many movies did because of pandemic, but this one especially um, has said, such a long road to get here and still is not necessarily quite everything everyone had hoped it would be and when it's multiverse of madness and it's marvel and everyone still has all these contracts and there's still this ongoing series and franchise where if one movie kind of falls short you know that there's six more in line behind it there doesn't seem to be six more in line behind this one. We have no idea what's in line behind this one. And that also makes it really difficult okay. to feel motivated to jump out and go see it. Because what does it matter in the end anyway? So if it's not good on its own and it's not part of a larger franchise, what hope does it hold for an audience? And I think part of it has to do with the fact that The Flash is a quantity where people are like, but you biffed it, man, right? Like when we come into these adventures, right? Like when you hear they're making a Guardians of the Galaxy movie and it's great, great. You came in with zero expectations, 0, 0.00 expectations and you're walking out going, wow, who can never really be sure, right? And when you go to The Flash, you're like, Scarlet Speedster, baby, bring me that fast Grant Gustin. Wait, who is this? This child endangerer? What is he doing in the movie? I'm sorry, they. My deepest apologies. Complete deepest apologies because I associate the Flash, a masculine character with the pronoun. So yeah. uh, certainly did not mean to disrespect Ezra Miller because we all know Ezra Miller is so about respect. And so I want to just be really certain that I think... As much as Marvel benefited from, like, just to, to, if I had, like, a magical chalkboard here, I would be like, chalkboard, first one in Marvel column, studio with more powerful recognition, studio better known for making movies. Not that DC isn't known for amazing characters, but Marvel's known for the movies right now, right? And then the second thing it had going for it is nobody expected to enjoy the first Doctor Strange movie and some people did i guess um then the third thing that this movie had going for it and i can't stress this enough is the flash came out after this movie already sucked and all of that is before we get to the fact that i've already taken some shots at their expense 
you know, Ezra Miller really did, from what we understand, endanger some lives. And I say some because the actual number is kind of fuzzy, you know, exactly what happened here. Um, I'm not like, take someone's side or not. But I, I do tend to, you know, side with victims until uh, there is any reason to believe they are not victims or at least, you know, their story is non-corroborable. And so no offense, Ezra Miller, but burden of proof is kind of against, you know, the situation. And, you know, there was a lot of things about people saying that as they were making this movie, Ezra Miller sort of devolved into the chaos mind of Grant Morrison sitting there going, but I mean, you God, but I mean, you God, you know what I mean? So like there's a sort of, Oh man, I love that. I'm frozen on that face, but uh, yeah. there's a certain level of the complexity of the world that is a post flat, a post Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness world that I think the Flash had to deal with that was an unbearable weight in the wake of its speed force. I think you're being very generous to the Flash and to DC movies about the factors that contributed to its delinquency at the box office. I mean, ultimately, when the original Justice League came out, for all of its flaws... People liked that Flash and Ezra Miller, and it was obvious that they were getting a movie. When I say he there, I was talking about Barry Allen, was getting a yeah. movie. Uh, and that was cool with everyone. Like, maybe even cooler than somebody like Jason Momoa as Aquaman. Uh, gorgeous, gigantic dude, but does anybody care as much as he is charismatic? Does he get the funny lines? No. So, like, the Flash getting a movie seemed right. Uh, and they they were in a good place. The idea that it would be a version of Flashpoint, which might give DC some wiggle room in terms of uh, reworking their universe so it could be on level footing, also very smart. Uh, from there, things devolved. And that is what it is, but they were very clearly not good. And the writing was basically on the wall. Now, the thing is, DC has some good stuff. I think <clears throat> Titans is really good. I don't think it's... Uh, I think Titans is really fun and really watchable, and I have Wait, watched... I'm sorry. Titans what? Where are you going with this? Lucens, uh, Titans. Oh. No, I hate you. I'm not doing it. I'm not <laughs> doing it. Uh, Shoes on second. It's really fun and watchable, and it adapts stories well it puts superheroes on the small screen in a really accessible way in a way that like a lot of the marvel streaming shows can't do harley quinn the animated show is really good flashpoint the animated movie is really good it's not that dc doesn't do good stuff it's that they cannot figure out a way to cohere the good stuff that they do and that they are not willing to focus on it because it's not as blockbuster as the stuff that Marvel does. But Marvel's blockbusteriness cannot continue in the same way. And blockbusters as a whole can't continue in the same way. The fact that Indiana Jones also failed right around the same time, we just don't want to spend the money to go to a blockbuster every weekend. And if studios are saying yeah. the only thing we're going to make is blockbusters, because if it doesn't make a billion dollars, what's the point? We cannot come to an agreement on this. And, you know, 
we are going to consumers are going to win we are simply not going to go to the movies and something will change but in the meantime there will be some casualties and how you deal with those casualties as a studio is really up to you the fact that you know nobody is saying we'll never do another doctor strange movie we're done with benedict cumberbatch is smart uh i really think dc is basically saying DC's in a tough space because they really can't do anything with Ezra Miller again, but they really don't know what to do now that this movie has bombed. And I just want to say, not just bombed, insensitive joke about bombing victims here. Like, the numbers on this screen are, they're not bad, they're tragic. And like, you know, Teek, you said some really lovely things about DC can get it right when they try. And I agree. You know, I don't even really think sometimes they try. They, it just well, happens. Like, and Grant, like Grant Gustin's Flash is such a great example of, as Tori yeah. pointed out, uh, a beloved thing yeah. that is a problem that they're not able to replicate. The thing is, these these perfect disasters are as difficult to get exactly this bad as you know, giving the Flash ten years on TV or whatever he had. Um, really oh, yeah. represented in a positive way. And, you know, Kevo, I know we never DC television universe exactly, but, you know, there's like 600 episodes. Blame us. Um, I mean, yeah, at least. I, I looked the number up once, and it's it's really, truly wild. And, you know, at first, you were very anti-Arrow because they were trying to make him Batman, and that made you mad. Um, and we also had no idea that what they were building was actually going to amount to anything because it was just after they had already tried to do a DC TV universe with Smallville, which had been on for 10 years, and that attempt failed. And so this was itself the second attempt to do a DC live-action TV-verse on the WB Network proxy, proxy. And so we were like, this isn't going to work out either. And then look at how it did. And that's, you know, that success still wasn't enough for them to back. And I think, you know, this to me really makes me think about all the conversations that have been had since pandemic and people being driven away from movie theaters and studios digging their heels in and refusing to give up on movie theaters and being like, no, only in theaters. And, like, I I don't think that's going to uh, pan out well because I think people enjoyed the ability to not have to go to theaters for everything. I think that there is a give and take where I wish they would put more focus on non-theatrical focus projects that could perhaps instead, like, what if they put a little bit more money and attention behind the CWDC-verse and instead we'd gotten the occasional theatrical event episode type thing where like they make a big deal and they push it but like they don't they don't want that they they want to be the biggest movie of all time everybody wants that big brass ring and you could instead make something so much more successful if you just focused on where you're already doing well You know, and I think talking about multiversal films is a really great place to sort of cross streams, as it were. And I think the part that is amazing is we're talking about how Doctor Strange might have misfired. We're talking about how The Flash 
had a complicated journey and all of this pales in comparison to any minute of the coverage on Deadpool 3 which is far and away one of the most anticipated superhero movies ever and I say that because when uh, Spider-Man No Way Home was announced we all were like shit they're doing it Secret Wars that's how we have three Spider-Men and then Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness comes out and everything is all very Wanda you must be better Wanda and like we're like oh it's Xavier and it, there's you know an inhuman in the corner cowering like he should and although now he's you know uh, Captain now he's Daddy. Pike yeah so maybe, uh, maybe I go a little easier on a uh, good old good old black bolt for now but anyway so you know we kept thinking each one of these was going to be that and now uh this movie is that literally the screen caps that show them standing in front of the destroyed 20th century fox logo uh the announcement that the unbelievable that is jennifer garner is returning to play electra in this film which references a really specific era of wolverine and Electra that our show is famously obsessed with wild could reference. No, it is. And so um, this is, this is the world that is inside Larry Hama's heart. So that's, that's, that's where this universe takes place. Uh, sold. sold. So my question to you guys is uh, they look like action figures, guys, the, mm -hmm. the depth of the color, the, the contrast, how big the hair is, uh, the, the vibrance in contrast to the ground. There is an excitement. Look how like, I mean, like it is obviously co costume padding. No offense. I'm not coming for Hugh Jackman, but it makes it look better. Actually. I mean, and, and, and sure it'll come off at some point and it's not going to be unimpressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all know it's going to happen. So I'm just, um, I'm enamored of these photos because they, they have to be intentional leaks for me because I think there were too many movies in a row that promised this didn't give it. And then the flash was supposed to be the one that did. I remember, you know, uh, shout out to Blake's buzz. Blake uh, Buzz being like, you guys, look at all the positive hype this movie's getting. It might be good. Maybe we could get excited about it as like a community. And then like the next day he was like, guys, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Apology video. Right. And uh, yeah. I say that all because guys, I, think, I fucked up. I think Blake's Buzz is like the best comic guy on the Internet. And so apparently I'm... you think he sounds like Kenny Loggins or Michael McDonald. <laughs> oh, combination. Um. <laughs> So here's the thing. Reel it in, Nico, because this is not going to be as good as you are making it sound right now. And those This ones, could be a two-minute scene at the top of the movie. Yep. The ones yeah. before were not as bad as we now look at them after we didn't get everything we wanted. We got Xavier in the chair, man. We got some cool stuff out of each yeah. one. Uh, this is going to give us some cool stuff. Uh, you and I... In our heart of hearts, if we're being 100% honest with each other, know that we are not getting wild thing. Now, would it be the coolest thing in the world ever forever if we did? Of course. And I would weep. And I actually can tell you why I think it would be smart. And I could list the ways and it would be really cool. It's not happening. And there's a bunch of stuff that this movie could do, that the ingredients are there, that the entirety of fandom knows it could do, that it's not going to do, and that's okay. 
I yes. love this point from Tori. This could be a literal promo shoot. The series does wild shit like that. It could 100%. just be for one trailer. Yep. 100%. Ryan Reynolds is in on all of the jokes. And, you know, it's a really amazing balance with Deadpool specifically. There is some luck for Marvel. Marvel really lucked out that this character exists that he's done as well as he has in fandom overall that ryan reynolds translates so well to him loves him with such fidelity uh they also are leaning into it after all of this time they're finally giving us the blue and yellow for wolverine uh and we finally have uh costume technology and development over years and years of bad costumes this would have been a terrible idea in 2002 uh now we can maybe 2010 too. Oh yeah, I 100. Like so many points. We had to go through some bad costumes. It was smart not to put Wanda in the Scarlet Witch look during Age of Ultron. We worked up to it. So Marvel is benefiting from a lot, including their own hard work and experience. Real quick, uh, I know you didn't misspeak, but I kind of heard, and now I'm really desperately into the Scarlet Witch's very dikey sister, the Burgundy Butch. And she is my new everything. And uh, I'm they here did for have that run where there were like other colors of yeah. which person. Uh, and I of think this they one, did. This one really cute. should and could exist. And, uh, you know, that's on our list of pitches now. Uh, Burgundy Butch for 2026 in Marvel. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there is a ton of hype for this movie. And I think Deadpool gets a lot of grace in that when it inevitably does not live up to the hype as high as we put it, people are still going to love it, and it's still going to be Deadpool. And I think that's great. I think it should be like that more often. I love our crazy speculation and high expectation as a fandom. I think we get a little nasty when we don't get everything we want. And unfortunately, I feel like, uh, you know, Multiverse of Madness is a very good example of that. I think Deadpool is going to not give us everything we want, but we're still going to be like, hell yeah, the trifecta of multiverse movies is now complete, and Deadpool is the one that is the perfect capstone. I love it. Love it, love it. Kevo, as somebody who's watched my uh, absurd, obscene Wolverine love, you know, over the years, that, that one on the left, it's that one on the left where he literally looks like uh like truly like a nick bradshaw or even like a sam keith or like a an alan davis drawing of wolverine hanging out with sunglasses on he looks like a cartoon and like as a colorist i know you know the level of saturation it takes to bring that that vibrancy to life and part of why i do think this is so planned is look at how everybody's in the right colors to make them pop and you know it really feels well positioned if nothing else and i'd love to get your take on having watched this happen we need another word other than planned because it's something i keep seeing in filming for doctor who recently as well where they will like announce something two days before they're filming in public. So it's like, no, it wasn't planned. It's more like they knew they were going to get caught doing this thing in public. So let's just make a big deal of it. Uh, so I have to assume with a film like this, with a company like this, with studios like this, there's still going to be a lot of things that are filmed on sound stages that are going to surprise us. Uh, so I agree there is a huge intentionality 
of filming something like this so outdoors if you know uh the set is not locked down enough that people will see this um what a choice of things to do so publicly and really set the bar so high for yourselves though i think is more what i am nervous about and a lesson that i hope they learned from these other movies uh not to set the bar too high for yourself or the expectation too high for your audience i feel like a huge part of the letdown of multiverse of madness is they sort of let us buy in to a notion about what the movie was going to be that it ended up yes. not being right down to the title multiverse of madness it really felt like we were going to be getting something more, especially after Endgame set the stakes so high. Whereas this is just Deadpool 3. Uh, the only real promise that we have been given is Deadpool is joining the MCU. We were not promised. Mutants are joining the MCU. And there are so many things that they even leaned into by releasing the fact that xavier would be in it in the yellow chair weeks ahead of when multiverse of madness came out they really let us lead ourselves to that so i think something to keep in mind with this is it's ryan reynolds and ryan reynolds is a prankster so if some of that is letting ourselves be led there we're going to have to take some of that responsibility on ourselves. Because this is the guy who invented Don't. Don't. The game show. The game show. He wants us to trip over ourselves. So that's also, I don't know. You know, and I I have to admit, the uh, sum total of what I really understand about Planet of the Apes is basically shouting Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Um, I've seen several of them in theaters and still don't understand what I've seen uh, down to the monkey Abe Lincoln sequence. I don't know. That's but, Mark Wahlberg. That doesn't count. Yeah, if only that was the only time Mark Wahlberg counts is in underwear shots and being tied to stakes. Uh, everybody knows the photo I'm talking about. And if plants are killing people. Oh no! So oh, no. here's here's where I'm at with this one. Right, um, pointing out that we did kind of convince ourselves that this film was going to happen is a really great thing because now that we have this big 20th century fox breakdown thing i'm like oh well this is conjuring up other films this is bringing me to a meta place and to say oh my gosh you're right this all could just be like a a wacky opening title sequence this could just be 30 seconds that they knew would get aerial drone shots you know it it's things like this that i think they use to soften the blow because now that we've heard that there's going to be no shang chi until 2026 and perhaps everything we ever thought about Jon Snow himself, uh, the I'll avoid making the joke because everyone's going to yell at me. But uh, we know nothing about Jon Snow. Uh, you know, Kit Harrington, they said, was going to be in Blade, they said. And now it turns out uh, Kit Harrington is like, I have no clue what any of you have ever been talking about. I I just didn't argue with you, but Blade is just in a scene with me by voiceover while I hold something called a blade. Um, you know, that's not 
that's not the same thing. That's like Deadpool holding a Wolverine while Hugh Jackman does a voiceover. It's not the same thing. I and have the quote, if you'd like me to read it. Oh, please point. do. All right. <clears throat> the honest answer is I think that's the intention with the character. I think there was some misunderstanding about whether he was going to be in the Blade movie. He was never meant to be in the Blade movie and isn't. At this stage, I don't know. At this stage, I hope he gets used. I know there's some really fascinating parts of that character which would be beneficial to delve into and interesting, which the aspects around his mental health things and specifically about addiction with that character, which I think is really interesting. I promise I'm reading accurately. This just must be how Kit Harrington sounds. So I hope they use him. I hope that the Black Knight comes along. I hope that Dane Whitman is that character, but at this stage, I can't tell you anything but I think the intention is to develop him at some point. What a place to be left in as an actor. Who are you? The cast of Home Economics on ABC? Oh, truly. I mean, what is this? Waiting for renewal on Domino Masters? Uh... I feel sometimes like it's weird because I love blank baking championships. I love so many of the versions. I do think, okay, look, I'm not coming for anything. Spring Baking Championship, A+. plus. Easter Baking Championship is so weird, and they make them do such horrible things to themselves on TV for money. It's it's just not the same thing. But anyway, they announced Summer Baking Championship, and I'm like, that's really cool. But I think something is that Summer Baking Championship, Spring Baking Championship, it's kind of like they said, let's make a banner version of a generic baking championship and they gave it likable hosts and they gave it strong uh, judges and you know who doesn't have kind of a crush on duff you know what i mean but so then like the trade-off is i would really rather another another food trucks like show each season not necessarily food trucks but there's something engaging that i get from the idea of a food truck competition show that i don't really get from just baking in a kitchen which is amazing but i have 80 of that i only have one food trucks so even though i don't love the format of the new gordon ramsay food show food stars where he's randomly picked 12 food entrepreneurs and is making them compete for his seed money Right? Uh, somewhere out there, Matt Lauer's going, see, now my room doesn't seem so creepy. He's making them compete for seed. So um, the thing I'm, gonna, I'm trying to say is with these films, I hear them say that the magical character with the mystical sword, something that there's not another one of running around the Avengers right now, is getting backburnered. I hear them say Shang-Chi, who, again, we are the, I think we are the most Shang-Chi obsessed show on the internet sometimes. Um Really, we are just such big fans of this character, of of this movie, and of Simu Lu, especially when he is being very aware of the meaning behind the character. And so to hear that this isn't coming out till 2026, and that there's no definite plans for Black Knight, and that all of the things that seem cool in Deadpool could just be illusions, Michael, I think what I'm kind of driving back to is... Are we in for a round of the flashes? And is Multiverse of Madness really the end of an art form? No. 
Agreed. Great. I mean, I feel that way, but like, you know, we have to ask the question. We're a news periodical. Yes, I do think it's a, it is a good question to ask, and I do think there's a risk of it. I think uh, what I really hope is that the uh, Actors Guild goes on strike, and that will put the Actors and Writers Guild in very strong positions to negotiate. Because here's the thing. All of these people should be on a streaming show a little bit more than they should be waiting for movies and they should be able to make money on streaming shows such that they can live off of it and improve their careers and everything should not have to be this movie made a billion dollars opening weekend therefore it's okay if it makes two we'll call it a success if it makes nine 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 we're gonna say it bombed we got to get out of that. Uh, I think where I thought where I saw DC having success, churning out a little more low uh, investment material uh, that got a lot of characters written, having stories, having actors play them. Uh, you know, a character like I, the Harley Quinn show really was brilliant, and it got to do the same type of comedy that Deadpool does, but. Uh, it was more easily facilitated and you got some great actors doing voice work on that. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that was a really fantastic one. There are a bunch of kids, you know, like the champions. I don't really know that I want to wait around for a champions movie or talk to you guys about who's being cast in the champions movie. But if we got a Disney plus show that was kind of like Titans, that was the champions. I would be really, really stoked about that. Um, I think that, DC is having trouble figuring out how to make good quality stuff that can really withstand the test of time. Marvel's having trouble figuring out how to make lower investment stuff that doesn't have to be the end-all be-all every time. And in doing that, they're backburnering a lot of important characters and important people. And I don't think that can hold forever. But my hope is that the way it is resolved is them figuring out how to take care of these actors and these characters without demanding that every movie be the blockbuster. I, I really definitely feel all of that. Um, and I think that hugely ties into what we were saying earlier about where more of these studios need to uh, take better advantage of the wide variety of types of media that they could be portraying these characters in. Um, I also really think it ties into, um, I think a lot of this, I, I really love the point that Tori is making in the chat right now, which is she's saying, at what point do we have to say that knowing so much ahead of time is detrimental to the viewing process? Question, and Tori that creating such a large sprawl of characters and winking that they all might get their own spotlight is just another Aurora Boris. And I think some of that is fair. And I think some of that is also, you know, we aren't consuming media the same way that we were 25 years ago. I think of when the Star Wars prequel movies were filming or even just like watching Buffy on a weekly basis in high school and how I was so much less aware of contracts and all of these things where like there's there's things where you almost know the entire plot of a season before they're finished filming it because of how much media attention there is, how much media journalism there is. 
and you know it's almost hard to avoid so it's almost like we as an audience kind of need to ourselves evolve and be more comfortable with certain things and be more comfortable with changes you know we can't help when a studio has to go in a different direction we've spoken a lot about the controversy surrounding the character of kang and us not knowing if they're going to continue with that character even and frankly if something happens where they can't what are we going to do are we going to throw up our hands and stop watching everything just because they had to shift a story that we had an expectation of what if it's a good story that they go in the direction of we can't predict necessarily that something is going to be bad because it's not what we thought it was going to be and you know there are so many versions of kang you could do iron lad who is a boy version of kang and i mean i would correctly cast him with a you know beautifully melanated actor um because there's no reason to have a white kang running around now that we certainly have the unbelievably talented jonathan majors whatever else should happen um you know i would still want to honor the portrayal of the character that is so multi-dimensional and multifaceted but you could kind of save course if you had to with a character like kang I don't know what you would do for Shang-Chi. He's not Ten Ring Man. He's Shang-Chi. It's not the same thing as Iron Fist, who is now a character who was known as Swordmaster and is, you know, that Daredevil variant. Oh my God, that's so good. Uh, but Swordmaster is now Iron Fist. Danny Rand is not, uh, is no. Yeah, I'm Iron so sorry. Fist. That's one yeah, sure that's got that. And so, like, you can do that because that's Iron Fist. That's not Shang-Chi. You know, that's the danger of naming the 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 movie Mike Nesbitt. The... And, like, you know, now you're stuck with heroes named Mike Nesbitt. But, you know, they're always seeding stuff. We got his sister taking over the Ten Rings at the end of that movie. And in the comics, meanwhile, Nico, you and I were talking about this earlier. Like, one of the other important things to keep in mind is Marvel Comics gets to be an idea generator and incubator and kind yeah. of like a, a built-in storyboarding for a lot of this. Uh, I, I think about it with Shang-Chi a lot because I said the minute I read it, and this was like one of the things early on where Nico was like, read this, you'll be happy you did. Uh, Alyssa Wong's uh, Shang-Chi Infinity Story to me is like, that it literally is the storyboarded movie. You could take every single thing that was written and drawn for that story just do exactly that and you would have one of the best like most straightforward marvel superhero sequel movies i've ever seen i think it is perfect in every way uh setting that aside the shang chi story in the comics gives us more siblings it gives us a whole bigger sprawling shang chi universe such that if something really bad happened yeah you would lose the name shang chi a little bit or you'd have to fudge it but you would have enough that had been set aside from Shang-Chi to play with the property. Uh, you know, even to do Ten Rings, the movie. Doesn't have Shang-Chi in the name, not the best, but we would get something recognizable from, from Shang-Chi with actors from Shang-Chi, uh, you know, with stories that were related. So it is where Marvel has increasingly more leeway. Like, it seems like a really dangerous tightrope walk, but they've set themselves up such that they can they can afford to play around with some of this stuff and when things go back you know 
it's not easy to come back from the guy playing the Flash being. I mean, that would be like if something bad happened with Captain America. Like, yeah. Uh, but Marvel figures out ways to take care of itself. And while I hope they don't have to use a lot of those, especially if they're coming out of like the actor being a bad seed, um, the fact that they they're set up in this way, I would like to see them using some of these kind of backups and creative outside the box thinking ideas to bring us things that we can love that are not billion dollar films. I just always go back to Werewolf by Night. What a fantastic piece of media. Truly. As Tori just pointed out, we watched them do Black Panther 2 without Black Panther. They yeah, have exactly. these they have the ability to plan around and work around, but if you have those abilities, then you need to be utilizing them to yield For the other best stuff besides damage. Yeah, control. absolutely. And I think that's that's the big thing that I think they need to figure out. So, you know, uh, all movie all movie stuff kind of wrapped together. Uh, I'm really excited about this slate of films, especially as we've been discussing it. Uh, you know, we have a whole lot more show to go. And one of the things that's exciting about the show that we have to go is that it still sources back to these same ideas. We're not done talking about comics or movies ever because we've reached a point where the two things are so intertwined. I hesitate to say that they sometimes don't care what happens over in the pages of comics as long as it upholds the overall trade, right? It's really become no one cares about any sequence to the narrative as long as it doesn't blow up in their faces. So it's better to have um, 12 sequences in a 24-page book where nothing happens in 11 that isn't already in the concept of the book, you know, Havoc's explosive with his brother. Cyclops tries to do the right thing, but is so stupid about it sometimes. Like, the things that are set up that you just need one in 12 to do something different. This way, the books move forward, and then across a trade, you have five moments, and you get to go, okay, but that's the one that had these five moments. It doesn't just have one moment. That's a trade with five big moments in it. And what? that's a, that's a trade, man. That's one book. You bought one book with five big moments. No, no, I bought five books each with one moment in them and that's maybe where as we transition on over to the comic side of things i have a lot of feelings about the events of x-men number 24 now if you're not interested in hearing about some very publicized stuff going on over in the pages of x-men that's probably a good time to boop bop off right uh you know whether you do a control alt four or uh mute us to keep keeping giving us the crazy views hey thanks um we're gonna talk a little bit about x-men 24 and the dissolution of marvel's most lovable and annoying marriage and that is that um Cyclops and Jean Grey are uh, breaking up. Are they? Let's say they're on the outs once more. They're on the outs. Uh, she did say, meet you after the show. I don't know. I think for me, my frustration uh, kind of comes in at their coupledom has been used as a story block point 
like yep. we keep being told, well, this is why Gene and Logan can't ever really be together. And this is why Emma can't ever really be with Scott. So what winds up happening is you use this as you're like, you know, this is power. This is marriage. This is love. But then like that's, you know, deflecting bullets. Right. But then um, when you want to, you just turn on it. And what that does to me as a reader is it jeopardizes my interest in this as a, as a protective. And there's a, you know, Tori uh, just asked, isn't Emma marrying Tony soon though? Yeah. But you know what? Even last hellfire gala, she, or two hellfire galas ago, she thought that was disgusting. And in story universe time, that's like three months ago, but it's somehow also a full two years ago. So what happens when you say this thing is permanent and then you dissolve it is you remind me that this can't be permanent. Yeah. And this dissolve means nothing. And that's probably even what I hate about over in another book, talking about another original character. Um, it might be what I hate both about the changes to beast and Iceman. Now that Iceman is Omega level Uber most powerful gay in the world. Great. Um, my frustration is that I feel like that's a change that's going to stay. That means nothing. So now he's really, really powerful. Cool. So he still doesn't have a personality. He still doesn't have a character outside of well-intentioned writers developing a character narrative that is necessary to help facilitate the inclusion of new subsects of unfortunately majoritative gay culture. So it's sort of like finding a way to say coming out late in life, white gay, I love you. There's room for you. You're not out because you didn't, you're not out of the club because you didn't come out till late. You can still be one of us. Come join. And that's beautiful. I'm so glad for it. But like, we're not getting that for black characters. We're not getting that for Latin characters who need to find a way to reconcile the homophobia of Latin communities. Hi, I'm a Latin man. That's why I'm doing that one. Uh, with, you know, homosexuality. We're not talking about those parts. So I think I'm annoyed that Iceman is likely to stay the super Omega level character because it was in his history. Beast is likely to be redeemed from this super evil stuff somehow, whether it's a different beast, he gets mind wiped, uh, alternate universe, uh, magically never happened. However, they get themselves out of it. And Gene and Scott are just going to get back together. The only change that I think is going to stick is the one that's just, I don't know. It's just the one that means the least. Making Iceman super strong doesn't mean anything. So like, it just feels like these characters are doomed to these cycles. I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, it does. And I really thought we were seeing the breaking of that for like a long time in what Hickman did in Hoxpox and in the first few issues of X-Men with really leaning into polyamory for Scott and Jean in to very much like so much of the concept at the start of all this was like, well, when you've done everything, what else can you do? And you know, when every X-Man has been resurrected, how can you really lean into that and acknowledge that? Well, we do these resurrection protocols and changes everything. And when Scott and Jean have been 
together and apart in every configuration and we're always throwing logan in because we love a love triangle and you know everybody loved scott and emma together what do we do you know something that for a lot of us is actually really obvious <laughs> which is that you uh you know look at a different relationship model and uh it Hickman, you know, just gives off such like galaxy brain outside the box thinking vibes that it didn't really bother me uh, that, you know, another, I mean, ostensibly homosexual or heterosexual man was writing this like borderline queer storyline. What really, what I really took comfort in was like, we knew a lot of people in that writer's room at that time were queer, were non-binary, were probably a little closer and could be like, hey, just so you're aware, I've read your script and here might be something to change about this polyamorous relationship. Now the stewards of that relationship are these like staunchly heterosexual men who don't really give me the vibe that they can tackle this. And when they put their stamp on this relationship, it always feels like they're voting for Logan or they're voting for Scott. Uh, it does not really feel like they can wrap their brains around the idea that everybody might be happy in a situation uh, where they're you can able vote to for love. Yeah, where, you know, they're able to love more than one person. And this storyline could still work. Uh, this would not be the first polyamorous couple to say like, hey, let's take a month apart. Uh, hey, our lives are in two different directions. We still love each other, but I have to go do work here and you have to do work here. Uh, yeah. it's not, it's not even a break. It's just, we're doing things a little bit differently. So if this after, could, if yeah. this could lead to some real conversations about their relationship, even if not that, but if it could lead to some long overdue conversations about their relationship. And I think the fear is that it won't. And what you're saying is it's just the same thing over and over again, especially from these, you know, not to project, but as far as we know, cis heterosexual writers who, you know, I just get so exhausted of seeing jealousy and cheating and cuckolding as these things, they, these wells they constantly go to for these stories, for this drama, when, like, it's just, there's so many better stories to be telling, and you're just telling the same ones over and over again instead. You're not reinventing this wheel. You're not. And speaking of not reinventing the wheel... I want to use this as a point to jump to another major run that's getting a lot of attention right now. Okay, Zeb Wells. I'm so happy for him that his Hellions like reinvigorated his career, and I, I think he's talented enough that he deserves it. What occasionally drives me nuts is the world kind of forgets about Zeb Wells' earlier work, which uh, the only reason I'm bringing it up in this regard is the run that I'm about to reference is so critically blasted, but for all of the other writers that Zeb Wells worked with, and like, I'm not saying Zeb's a, a bad guy. I think Zeb, like I just went on about how great he is, but to take a look at Spider-Man and Jackpot, um, the thing is when One More Day revamped Amazing Spider-Man and we got Brand New Day um, Spider-Man, it was written by a Spider-Man brain trust. And one of those writers was, in fact, Zeb Wells. So when Dan Slott started writing Amazing Spider-Man, one of the writers alongside him was exactly who I keep saying, Zeb Wells. It was also Mark Guggenheim and 
Bob Gale, Bob Gale, who wrote Back to the Future and then wrote the playing to the camera arc of Daredevil. Um, Mark Guggenheim, who wrote literally everything. And Dan Slott, who I believe technically is the most Spider-Man writing is writer of all time. Um, so Jackpot actually debuted way back then. Jackpot debuted in 2007 or 2008 in the pages of an amazing Spider-Man annual. And everyone thought it was going to be Mary Jane, who we still didn't understand how she and Peter weren't together anymore. And then it wasn't Mary Jane. It was like Mary Jane's roommate or something. But that means Zeb Wells has been part of the writing team that wrote Jackpot as maybe Mary Jane or not for 15 years in some capacity. And now he's doing it, which is great. But that does maybe make this feel just a little like... It's not exactly the most original idea in the same way that if you actually look back at Zeb Wells' New Mutants run, it parallels Hellions in a lot of ways. And again, not coming for it, not saying he's untalented, but it makes me see how much Steve Orlando, very talented queer writer, has 90 titles at Marvel currently. And um, it feels sometimes like we're seeing kind of like repeatable iterations go over and over into like into self-satire mm. it, it does kind of feel like if you asked me 15 years ago yeah but you know jackpot's gonna come back and she's gonna be you know um mary jane and zeb wells would still be writing spider-man and dan slot would still be writing spider-man and it would still be an inexplicable reason after a time jump that they're just not together. And it would still be that we're beginning to understand the Spider-Verse for the first time. It becomes silly, even if I'm excited for it. I see how it does mean, though, that the industry rests on each of us taking turns being like, yeah, okay, it's silly, but I'll do it. I think that really is the key point there. Like, it does very much hinge on a fandom engine that has to ebb and flow with itself in terms of, like, all right, I'll be the one that's here for it. You know, I, I'm i currently the newest amazing Spider-Man person that I'm... Yeah. I'm reading yeah. from, from, from present catching up on back issues. This is the first so, one that I click with. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, and I'm not even a huge fan of the jackpot thing. It's just, like, so silly that she literally has uh, slot machine powers, but then they're, like, Mayan runes. Um, it's, and then, but the jackpot, because slot Which, machine, but it's not. And it's so close to Hollow's Eve. Yeah. Um, who Hollow's Eve's powers? She has a bunch of Halloween masks that give her the powers of whatever fictional character whose mask she puts on. So she'll become a werewolf, or she'll become a Frankenstein. And this but is like Hollow's Eve is kind of the flip side of it, where it's like uh, at least she's new. At least this is like entirely new stuff. You know, Madeline Pryor is the one who gave her her powers. Uh, they're a little bit nonsense, but it's coming from a different sector. And it, I just don't know. Uh, none of it's bad. 
it's just I don't quite know where to look and what to do. Kevo, when you hear that Mary Jane is now a superpowered being running around alongside Black Cat in their own series before Mary Jane uh, comes back here and gets superpowers. Does that affect your understanding? Like one of the big things is like, she's Mary Jane. She's super just for being like literally the coolest woman in the world. She doesn't need to be cool the way Spider-Man is cool to be cool. She's just cool. You know, that's, that's not really the thing about the situation that bothers me though. It's okay. interesting. Um, you know, I, I think stretching these characters in unique ways can be fun. Um, you know, I echo your um, sentiments about, you know, the way that they made her powers and calling her jackpot. I, I don't know. But, you know, for me, I I hear you guys talking about the same writers have been writing these things for 10, 15, 20 plus years. And I think about, you know, us talking about how the comics are the source for a lot of the MCU. And I don't know. I just, I feel like a lot of the complaints we hear about superhero movies or comic book movies and all these things, I, 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 I feel like we aren't enough taking that conversation all the way to the source and talking about, well, you know, it's sourcing things from people who have been writing the same thing for 20 years. Why aren't we bringing in new voices so that we can potentially be getting these characters going in new directions to find new things for these movies? I, I, I don't know. That's my concern. Uh, it's, it's, and it's any entertainment industry where it's the same person telling a story for like 30 years, especially when it's a character they themselves weren't the ones who invented. When it's the original creator, you know, when it's your property, I get it. You know, New Rugrats is from the same people who made old Rugrats. So when I see people complain about New Rugrats, I'm like, well, the creators wanted to make a new version. I get it. But like, these people didn't invent Spider-Man. Even if they invented the best run of Spider-Man, you didn't invent Spider-Man. And how do we know that there aren't 15 other people who are just waiting for their opportunity to tell the next best Spider-Man, but there isn't room to bring in new voices. So I don't know. That is always my point with writers who like part of the problem is when people are like, I'm not done. I'm, yes. I'm sorry that I'm not done, but I'm not done. And like, you're right. You don't have to be done just because you're older. But if the medium isn't going to grow, you don't get to say, well, I'm not done. Well, then I'm sorry. You need to stay competitive. You need to stay interesting. You need to remain in the sales market. And I, as a consumer, did not sign on for all of these titles and properties to give creators life term appointments. Agreed. Yes. Until they are done. I, as a consumer, might be done with you. And might want new voices on this thing that you did not invent, that I still love, and feel needs change. I didn't vote for you. And that goes for anyone, not any specific title or writer or any person, just the general sentiment of, I did not as a consumer agree to lifelong appointments to any of these creators and these properties. I really love that perspective because it's something that shocked me when I got an email mailer thing 
sales boop from Midtown Comics this week. And they said up to 75% off of all of these back issues. And I was like, sure. And then I looked at what the titles were. It was quite literally the full Marvel catalog from the last three months. Also the DC catalog from the last three months, tons of indies, but like I could get daredevil number 13 this month's issue for a dollar 40 cents. It is literally cover dated 399. It came out this month and it's already on blowout sale. And that really, it, it does cause us to talk about one major thing, just to remind everybody the way the comics market engine works is unlike any other market in the world, and it's garbage, and it's so unfair to the incredible uh, the incredible shop and store owners, the unbelievable creators who put their heart and soul into this work, uh, and the fans. What happens is they solicit the book. So they say, it's January. In April, we're going to release X-Men number one. Here's what we think is going to be inside it. And here's what we think the cover is going to look like. But at the point they put that to the printer, they're still making changes to the book and they're still not ready to release major spoilers. So you're being asked to indicate to your comic shop, your interest in a book that's not even done being made yet for them to advance, order you a copy. And then they have to put out the money. So they put out half the cost of the book. So if the book is $4, they put out $2 and then you come in and you buy the book for $4, right? So that's how this works. Now that means Midtown Comics, they're selling like, I think it was X-Force from April. April's issue of X-Force was 40 cents. Literally. They bought that in April for $2. And they're selling it for 40 cents. No, I'm sorry. They bought it for April. My point is they bought it in February. Yeah. And now they're at a point where they need to clear their shelves. They need to make room. That's actually what Amazon Prime Day is. Like, hey, it is today, Amazon Prime Day. And I just kind of want to say that is what Amazon Prime Day is. It's actually them sort of being like, we got to get rid of some of this. We have too much. We got to get ready for Christmas stock. Take our stuff, please. And they can't sell it at full price, but they can sell it at this reduced price, right? And they'll sell a that's lot a of random it. crap. So that's really part of what we're talking about when we're talking about the nature of the comic model. I really don't know what it means that the books that my friends and I just bought, and strangers, obviously, but my friends and I just bought these books for four dollars, five dollars. I think about this thing that happened when Kevin and I uh, were first dating. We both had a ton of DVD shows. Like we had so many shows on DVD and we're like walking around stores and we're seeing these re-releases of shows that we bought at such an incredible cost, you know, $60 a season, $80 a season, a hundred dollars a season. And we're seeing complete series of five, six and eight seasons for like seriously 60 bucks. And it was gutting. Yes. But that involved years of market change. 
That involved the powerful transformation of these markets needing to stay relevant in a streaming world. That involved dwindling sales on forgettable shows. And that for every one major hit that Mill Creek had, they were still stuck with a bunch of things in the package that got them that one hit. So what does it mean that we're seeing literally last month's comics go for pennies on the dollar? Yeah, I can't can't speak to it entirely, but you know, we've done one of these episodes talking about the current state of comics before where we've talked so much about what we want from the unlimited model, from the digital publishing industry, and I really can't help but indicate to everyone that obviously these two conversations are related and uh the buyer is here. The buyers are here. Fandom is here. It does not want to go anywhere, but you have to admit we will start asking ourselves why we would bother paying $5 for an issue when if we simply wait, it'll be there. And, you know, I, I'm just feeling more and more like I, I, I do love being part of like Wednesday X spoilers fandom, but when I'm starting to think about my budget, I don't mind having these conversations in a couple months. And, and they're the ones that are teaching you to wait. It's not like you... Yeah. There's also sort of a complicated other side of this coin that we've talked about a bit on the show, but when Uncanny X-Men launched Disassembled, it sold... Um, you sold a good number of one, you sold some two, you sold some three. By the time Age of X-Man came, shops were thrilled. And then they couldn't finish moving the end of Age of X-Man, which was only three months later. And then they couldn't finish moving the rest of Uncanny, which was only ten more issues in four months, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Uh, so you wound up in this situation where shops were saddled with what was essentially $40, $45 worth of X-Men that was the only chief X-Men title, so it should have been moving off the shelf. And I'm not speaking of its quality, I'm speaking of its reception. And then here comes Hoxpox, where they need six, seven, eight, nine reprints of some of these issues, and it's to the point where like, I actually think that that is what rebirthed the reprint market. The excitement of Hoxpox and all of those reprint variants every month, Hoxpox made me feel like I was part of something again. I cried in two episodes ago about being a part of the Tori Amos community during Scarlet's Walk, and I'll get emotional talking about it again really quick. I'll start crying, but like that's what it was like. Kevo would tell you that Wednesday mornings I would be like, "Baby, baby, come on, baby, come on, we got to go to the comic shop, baby," and he'd be like, "Bear, it is six a.m." And the shop does not open until 10 a.m. We have to go to the gym first. And I'd be like, um, can we go to the shop at like 930 and wait in the parking lot? And the couple of times we actually did that, I felt like a creeper and a fucking freak. Dude, nine, 10, 11 cars would fly to the door the second they would unlock. And every one of us would be like, can you please put the Hawks boxes out? please and like it it got to the point where they would say to you hey can you let us know if you're going to be here at at 
open because then we'll have the covers out for you guys. Like, um, it, there was nothing like it. And I, I, I worked at a comic shop during Astonishing X-Men. It was not as cool as this was. And uh, it seems so long ago, but it was only four years. I mean, pre-Pando, so yikes. But yeah. like, it just, yeah, I wonder how that would have worked during the pandemic. Everybody crowding around the tables. Um, but that's, it's not the same thing that it was a couple of years ago. And even if it's still exciting, it's not, it's not the same enculturation. And that's okay. I just would love to see everybody being like, this is totally true. And not that we need to fix it, but what are we going to do to embrace the current state of things? And yeah. what are we going to do to make things the best for everybody and to tell great stories and to empower writers to tell great stories and to stoke fascination? I just don't feel like that is where we're at right now. We're really at like, can we, can we figure out a way to recreate this success? Can we do this over again? Or can we keep everybody in a holding pattern until we figure out how to redo it again? And, uh, I, you know, I think that's a silly way to do things. Kevo, you've seen this ebb and flow come and go. You saw us be so excited. We had a change with the, the show covered, and, uh, you know, it, it changed the trajectory of my life in a lot of ways, uh, Hawks Pox. And, um, yeah, how do you feel watching it from the outside? I'm almost bummed. Like, how do you feel watching it from the outside? I mean, that's college, man. It's a finite number of years and everyone graduates. You know, any mm. period of your life is any period of any entertainment, anything, especially in comics, where it's this thing where ostensibly it's going to continue going on forever. You know, any era is going to have to end. And I think what I find more disappointing than anything after all of these years of comics is how it feels ill-prepared they are mm. for an era to end mm -hmm. every single time. Yep. Um, and it feels like they don't learn sometimes. Uh, because I feel like I've seen this fump for not just from Marvel, but from DC and from any major comics or entertainment uh, outlet where they've had a big era and then have oh, tried to scramble and uh, do it again. Do the same thing. No, no, you should have been better prepared. Uh, you've been doing this for 60 years uh, longer in terms of just the industry uh, and at what point are you not better prepared? That's just the, that's the thing that keeps ringing in my head. Like you, you knew, no matter what, eventually the Hoxpox era is going to end. Not you, like them, the the publishers, the producers. Um, you know, and the entire time we were sitting there watching this, and we're watching Krakoa and Araco, and we're like, how long is this going to last? Is we're still not sure how much of this is going to be forever or if they're going to tear it all out and have it just go back to normal or is this permanent? And that's one of the things as well that makes it hard to react too much about this era ending. Is it over over? Is this 
first step just over um and they're not really forthcoming and frankly they've done so many things in the past where you can't exactly trust so that's hard as a fan i just find myself eager to engage with whatever's next as an industry right because i'm such a big fan of this generation of writers you know, hearing Torin Grunbeck is getting carnage in a post-carnage, getting a summer event world. So we're putting an incredibly talented woman on a hyper-violent book, and we're not shying away from that. That's brilliant. And I'm so here for it. And at the same time, why do I know anything about November's books in July? And that's the challenge here. It seems like their thought is just, what if we build more hype? No, I'm going to forget about this hype by then. Yes. I'm going to think this had already come out and that you're and, doing a volume two. And in the meantime, Torn Grunbeck's about to launch a really great X-Men book. Focus on that. Like, we can we can get to Carnage. Let's, let's focus on Realm of X first. And so I'm concerned, right? Because when I think about how Marvel is like, Industry legend Kieran Gillen returns to Marvel. They're like, look at this Nikon camera. And when they're like, Steve Orlando gets to fulfill his lifelong fan dream of exploring the 2099 universe in a weekly one-shot series event thing, it's sort of like, look at these Fujifilm disposables. Aren't they cute? aren't they and like you're not treating these visionaries with the same level of respect so then i go to the steve orlando book expecting less because marvel treats it like less and then i go to the kieran gillen book and i expect it then to do all of the heavy lifting for the industry which you won't let it do as an industry because that would be irresponsible because then when one book fails the whole thing does but then I go to it as per the marketing, expecting it to carry the banner for X-Men. And it doesn't. I just find myself frustrated that clearly the stories have changed, but the package hasn't. And it's beginning to hurt the stories. And I really, really, really keep hearing you say the phrase, you won't remember the hype. Because that is so true. And they put so much focus on the hype and no one is going to remember that and they keep putting the focus on hyping these things instead of trying to properly sell what they actually are and focus on making sure people find good stories um and that's a problem because yeah no one's going to remember we're not in a world anymore where everyone remembers the secret invasion marketing and all of those ads and all of that hype it's not that world anymore and you need to be thinking about where you're putting that attention and it's also the thing nobody remembers good hype because then you just go enjoy the thing that got hyped when the hype is good and the story's good you just of course you don't remember you just think that was a great thing Everybody remembers bad hype. Everybody remembers when they were lied to and told this is going to be great. And clearly you knew it wasn't going to be great. And it was then not great. So you, I, I can't ever forgive those. And I'm always paying attention to those. And 
I feel like we're seeing a bit too much of that lately. Yeah. Well, I just want to end on a high note. Uh, I want to, I want to bring it up yeah. at the end with something I'm going to waste some money on. Uh, those of you who know me know I'm a big time brickhead. Uh, I collect uh, Lego extensively. Um, I, I don't even buy omnibus editions at the same rate anymore, but I, I still buy a little too much Lego. And of course, I have a little uh, Disney Main Street that ends in a little Disney castle, and it has like me, Kevo, Jonah, TK, uh, you know, a couple other people, and uh, we all hang out in our little noodle shop. Um, but I bring this up because uh, Disney has seen it in their infinite wisdom to release the packaging for an upcoming toy, the X-Men 97 Wolverine's adamantium claw Lego brick kit, which I think is just great because we have absolutely no idea when this TV show is coming, but by all means, uh, boys, girls, and every non-binary amazing fan out there, please buy these toys. And then if enough of you do, we will give you the show you want, but it still won't be the show you want. Bye. I am really amused by how much X-Men 97 merch is being pushed right now with, again, as you say, I have no idea when this show is coming. Um, but the same is true of Marvel's What If? And they already released merchandise for episodes that haven't been released of that either. So, And this feels like the not good hype. Yep. You already got one set of claws, so... And now I'll have multiversal claw power. Yeah, I mean, it is cool. I hope Lego does, you know, many more collaborations with Marvel. I'd love to see more Lego X-Men stuff. I think it would sell gangbusters. I think it'll be all kinds of fun. Uh, and even though we have no idea what's happening with 97, that's going to come out and be fun, too. That's going to be fine and great. And I think, you know, that's a really good example. of it's. A, it, I, for some reason, I find it much easier to ignore the hype on disney plus stuff and just not get as involved as sometimes i slip too easily on the comics and i'm just like oh i gotta know i gotta know uh but you know x-men 97 it's gonna come out i'm gonna have fun and that'll be great end of story and in the meantime if i have a cool uh lego based wolverine claw to mount on my bookshelf i'm actually a little stoked for that you know i'm really glad that we took some time to talk about the state of the comic uh the kind of state of the comic stuff right because uh i really love talking about comic books but i don't really love comic books right now and that's okay i like them plenty i love the writers i still love the characters it's not about thinking there is a dearth of talent it's about thinking that not every story and not every era can be for you and that's okay it's not my or your responsibility to single-handedly keep the comic industry afloat with your wallet and that is to say that if comics cost $4 a piece, that's they're pretty they're pretty expensive. And then uh, to consider that every one of them has to go somewhere in your home or in, you know, if you've got a digital collection, great. But good luck uh, at this point having a digital collection. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's OK that I want to take a big step back from comics as an industry. No. It's okay that I want to take a big step back from comics as new stories right now. I'm going to continue to collect volumes of older stories that hopefully continue to give some of these creators royalties uh, that continue to, uh, you know, engage with the comic shop market. And 
that means what we should be doing here on the show is if that's not where our heart is at, we should be engaging a little bit more with comics as an industry, which we still passionately care about, which we see, uh, you know, the effects of everywhere. And so that's going to be a little bit about what we do on Wednesdays. Now, you might have noticed we kicked off our long awaited JMS ASM run, and that is going to continue. We've relaunched the X's for Podcast feed. So if you want to find more of this amazing comic content, you can find it coming out Mondays and Thursdays. Okay, but what if you're here for HTML? Well, we are the Weather Girls and have we got news for you. HTML's podcast Hi. feed. <laughs> HTML's podcast feed is also back, and that's going to be running Tuesdays and Fridays. You can catch new shows here on Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. So it sort of sounds like we're a real network now, and uh, we have content coming out every day. Oh, yeah, we have a, we have a big fan. Uh, Tori's stoked Tor. about HTML. Thanks, Tor. So, uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be catching HTML up on some of the amazing goodies we've covered. Same thing with X's for Podcast. There's going to be a few weeks of uh, burning off that archive. And then it's going to be live and super cool for X. And uh, we'll go from there, guys. So, uh, as always, uh, we think you guys are great. Now, Kevo, I got to ask you. We, uh, we didn't play an opening game. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to come up with a quick closing game. And uh, uh, who's got the better cakes, Ryan Reynolds or Hugh Jackman? They're both right there. And then the last episode was about who's got good cakes. Um... Or I will take any cakes from this episode. Feel free to nominate cake. Ooh, I think I am on this slide currently, and I am feeling either Kit or Simu as far as cake goes. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Sometimes I feel Hugh, and sometimes not. Sometimes he's a little bit too... Er, I don't know what it is. And Ryan Reynolds is great, but he's also, you know... He's very slim. He's got the beanpole thing going. Even when he's big, he's got, you know, this 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 slimness to him. So not that quite graduated V. Yeah, so not quite cake. The same way that, you know, we weren't really uh that, the way that we were figuring out the parameters that Chef Tyler took the episode last time. Oh, Tori misunderstands the game and says none of these men can bake worth a damn. I actually or maybe she understands the game better than any of us. I'm not convinced none of these men can bake. Uh, I, I, you know, especially Kit Harrington kind of gives me some stubby overtones. I'm sure his uh, redheaded wife definitely makes him cook for her. So, Kevo, if all of these amazing folks want to find you and your opinions on man cake, uh, where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me over on the socials at Kevoreally. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And you can also potentially, um, I'm not sure exactly how all this works out, but you can possibly find me contributing tomorrow to Enterprise Bingo, which is a cool thing that's happening with Paramount, uh, hosted by Jackie Cox and Anthony Rapp. Maybe I'm going to be uh, disqualified just for saying this live on air. I don't know. I don't care. Go watch it even if I get disqualified for saying this, because this is a super cool thing. I'm in my Star Trek era, and this is super queer, and can definitely use your support. So uh, go check that out, too. Go play those games. And uh, who's up next? Teak? That's Do you want to say who your vote is for Cake? 
and tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, Yeah. Simulu, always and forever. Jon Snow still knows nothing, and I'm tired of Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. So Simulu, he's gorgeous. He's fresh. Uh, That's the movie I want. I'm telling you, I'm right about that Alyssa Wong script. Just trust me. Do it. Make the movie now. You won't regret it. I'm always right. Uh, and you know, if you want to see that put to the test, follow me on social media. It's TK Elemental. I have a lot of opinions. Objectively, not a single one of them has ever been wrong. So I think it's worth your follow. I believe he is correct. And, uh, you know, I am so, so excited about your new username. Uh, I think it's so sharp, funky, fresh, right? I think it's real great. Uh, thank you. So Nico, what's your vote? Where the, where do people find you? <sighs> Well, I guess I'm going to have to be on original and I'm going to have to go Simu. Um, you know. Good choice. Yeah. As Tori says, he's Ken. He's Ken, exactly. <sighs> yeah. Such a beautiful Can't place. wait. We're so close. And yeah, uh, like nine days away. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. Oh, and uh, on Blue Sky uh, for Sherzies, right? And uh, guys, so don't forget, we love making this show for you. I guess seven days a fucking week. Always and, and forever. Um, All day, every day. Stop, won't stop. All right, yeah. So until next time, uh, stay strong, be brave, evolve daily, and we'll see you. Pew, pew.